Hi there, and welcome to episode 43 of The Playground Project with me, your host, Tanya Pomerantz. I'm so delighted to welcome you to the podcast today, and I'm really happy you're joining my fabulous mystery guest and me on The Playground. Before we start our career chat, I invite you to follow me on Instagram at PuddleJumpCoaching001. I would love to connect. And in the doghouse today, we are shining the spotlight on Pet Save Sudbury, whose mission is to rescue abandoned, abused, and neglected dogs and cats throughout Northern Ontario and ensure that every pet receives a new leash on life. You can visit them at www.petsavesudbury.com and the website will be in the show notes as well. And now, I am thrilled to welcome my fabulous mystery guest, Dee Jenkins. Welcome, Dee Jenkins. It is such a pleasure and an honor to have you join me, join us on the playground today. And as the listener knows, I start every episode by giving context to the guest, the fabulous mystery guest, and say how I know them. And so Dee and I are very recently introduced through Namika <laughs> Nandi, one of my friends and who was a wonderful mystery guest on the podcast a few episodes ago. She suggested you have to meet D. So I met D and I love D. I was so honored after our conversation. I was so touched. And so this is D. D is from their LinkedIn profile, empowering people to be their own hero, two spirit knowledge keeper, storyteller, visionary, truth seeker government leader. Welcome to the Playground D. Uh, Jimmy Gwich. Thank you, Tanya. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Okay. So as a career development practitioner, I always go kind of right back in time to, to high school. So where did you grow up and what was high school like for you? Well, I grew up in a place known as North Bay, Ontario. So that's on the shores of Lake Nipissing kind of northern Ontario. So I grew up there. It's a, it's a blue-collar town, I would say. Smaller city, probably about fifty to 60,000 people within the area. I grew up there, spent, I would say, almost three decades of my life there, born and raised. And I, I went to school there. I completed high school there as well as I completed my uh, undergrad there. And I went to Woodfield Secondary School, which is no longer an active high school within the uh, Near North District School Board. It was a great school. It was a it was a mix of socioeconomic realities, is what I would say. So there was the kids that were going there, kids that grew up with very professional, career minded people. Then there's those of us who were raised uh, as blue collar kids in that area and and kind of in between. So it was a uh, it was an interesting school. There was, and of course, in all the different classrooms, there would be a whole hodgepodge of different people and, and everybody speaking their own truths as we do when we're, we're teenagers. It was, uh, it was a good experience. I would say I actually went to high school twice, and I'll explain this. So the first time through, high school was, I would say, very boring to me. 
I had lots of friends and I participated in athletics and had a, you know, a full social sort of experience as, as a teenager. But I found that because I wanted to stay with my friends that I chose back then in Ontario, you chose advanced general and basic level courses. And the general, of course, was what would be like the college prep courses now. Although there's nothing wrong with that, I found that the material was not as challenging. Now, those courses or teachers that I seemed to connect to was very different. Then I was very attentive and I was I was committed and I, I wanted to learn and I was inspired. I had a, a couple of teachers that were absolute inspirations to me. And then there is another part of my, I guess, first experience, and that was I was the class comedian. And I want to differentiate, that's not the class clown. The class comedian, I would employ the help of the class clown in order to, to keep things interesting, particularly in those classrooms that I didn't seem to be engaged with, with the material or the teacher or the, you know, or even just socially with, with the type of kids that were in the class. So I graduated um, with a high school diploma and I said, I'm never going back there. I'm never, you know, I'm never going to school again. I School was just not for me. And I had uh, gone on to work in the culinary arts. So I had worked in uh, the service industry, learning the trade of being a sous chef. Hmm. So I was I was doing that for a while. And, you know, the hours were very challenging. You do split shifts and stuff like that. And, you know, very early on was thinking, this is not what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. I love cooking and I absolutely love the social aspect of that industry. But there was just something that wasn't, again, exercising, I think, my love of academics and my, my love of, of knowledge. So I decided that I was going to go to university, but I had forgotten how to be a student. And I was so fearful that going back to be a student, I didn't want a, a repeat of high school. So I didn't have, and what was known at, at the time, the Ontario Academic Credits in order to get into university. Now, my age would have, in fact, allowed me to go in as a mature student, mm. but I had forgotten how to be a student. I think that's a really important part of education is that's your academic career is how I look at it now. It's so how do I learn to do that again? So I went back to high school at the age of 24 and took my Ontario academic credits back at the same high school. I, I did far better, um, obviously, with a little bit of maturity and life experience, but probably one of the funniest experiences in one of my history classes, the substitute teacher was one of my classmates from when I had first gone through high school. So that was, uh, that was quite an experience. We had a good laugh about that. But uh, I don't have any regrets doing that. It really got me back into a mindset of pursuing my academics and getting back on, you know, pivoting back onto the path that I think was always meant for me. But I, I had to have that life experience first before getting there. Mm -hmm. Did you ever consider college? I had, for sure. There was, you know, at first I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll do, uh, so Canada College in North Bay, they have a great radio and television broadcasting programs. And I thought about going into radio because I had always loved music. And I, so I, I thought about that. And I had also, I think, thought about correctional services worker, I think was the mm -hmm. other thing that I thought about. Like I was kind of all over the place. And it, I thought about it. And then I thought, no, I, I can achieve a degree. And I'm, in my family, I'm the only one with, I have three older brothers and a younger brother. I'm the one that has the university degree. Mm -hmm. And my younger brother chose to go to college. Uh, he's very, very brilliant. 
guy, my younger brother, and he had taken studies at Humber, which has proven to be very successful after that, taking the uh, film and television program there. So he's moved on to a career that he finds very fulfilling. And so I went off to pursue an academic. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. Actually, at first, my brother and I had actually talked about uh, attending Ryerson together for film. But once I got back into high school, I realized how much I did love academics. And being exposed to it a little bit more at that level, I wanted to pursue it through university studies. And I thought, well, I'd always wanted to be a lawyer. Maybe I would pursue law. I I didn't end up pursuing law. That was actually my plan. Uh, However, with illness uh, of my mother... Uh, throughout my university uh, mm-hmm. undergrad, uh, and then her her passing, it just didn't seem to materialize. I didn't think that was going to be the path for me, and it ended up not being the path for me. I decided after my mom's passing, uh, which was um, 23 years ago this past March, I was going to come to Algonquin Territory, so Ottawa, Ontario, because I wanted to find out more about why as an indigenous person why the the why of why this happens why what has happened in in with colonialism with residential mm-hmm. schools with the reserve system so after my mom's passing i considered a healing journey and i was uh, guided to to algonquin territory i always say that this is a place where i've come to learn and to heal and I continued to do that uh, after 23 years. And when I left North Bay, I had said to my father, I said, I'm going to go to Ottawa and I'm going to go work for, and at the time it was known as Indian Affairs. And he said, well, nobody just goes to Ottawa and gets a job with the government. And I said, well, I'm going to. And within short order, I had moved here in, I think it was October of 2000, by February of 2001, I began my career as a uh, federal public servant. All right. I'm with your dad on this one, Dee. (laughs) How did you manage that? By telling stories. Uh, so I come from a storytelling background, both from my Indigenous side. So I'm Omishkegawak, Anishinaabe, so Swampy Cree, uh, Ojukri and Soto on my matrilineal side. And my father being, I think, probably a, at this that point, pr- probably a fourth generation Canadian from a Welshman, Irishman. Mm. And he was always such a, a fantastic, like just an absolutely fantastic storyteller. And my mom was as well. So I've kind of developed that over my life. And so I had applied for jobs and people said, oh, just apply here and apply there and see, do this, do that. And so I went in and there's a process where you have to write the exam and, and all this kind of stuff. And I was invited in for an interview and it was a board interview. There was three people in the room. I had had no idea what I was getting myself into because I had never experienced this. I had had no coaching. I just was like <laughs> flying by the seat of my pants. And I came in for the interview and I told us just stories of interactions with helping people and particularly helping other Indigenous peoples, whether that was through trying to follow their roots, trying to rediscover their familial connections, uh, especially those who had experienced the 60 scoop, those who have found themselves in the child and family services system. And I got the job. And it was in comprehensive claims. It was uh, negotiations in the Yukon for self-government. And I wasn't expecting to get the job. And what I was told was they were very captivated by my interview because usually they have a bunch of questions they're going to ask you. And then they write each of the answers down and do the analysis on did I meet all the competencies and the director who interviewed me his name is Blake he said uh, 
I've never experienced somebody come into an interview and basically answer all of the questions without knowing what the questions were by telling one story. That's actually how I got into uh, the federal public service. You know, I totally want to hear that story now. <laughs> that, that's yes. a story to end all stories, for goodness sake. Wow, that's very cool. And so when you went to university, how did you see your career journey? Because I, I love that you said, yep, I'm going to Ottawa and I'm going to join the, the public service. Did you see a, you know, a forever home there? No, not at all. Um, I, think, I think a couple of things. When I always knew I was going to work for my people. So when I was going to pursue law, I wanted to pursue constitutional law and indigenous rights and both inherent and, and treaty rights and what we now know as the, you know, the UN Declaration or, or UNDRIP. Uh, that was always the passion was I, I wanted somehow to be connected to that. And I think that I knew that that was going to be my path. I just didn't perceive that it would be in Ottawa the way it happened because I do actually very much work in that area in a lot of the work that I have done over my career. I didn't think that this would then become my my home. I thought it would be a stop along the way. I really thought I would probably end up in Toronto for some reason. I, I don't know why mm -hmm. I thought that. I think probably because growing up, you know, from North Bay was everybody went to Toronto. You know, everybody went to the University of Toronto and everybody, you know, and then a certain group of friends would go to Ottawa. But for the most part, it just seemed like everybody's path was huh. to Toronto. So when I finished my my undergrad and then came to Ottawa, to be very honest, I didn't actually stay in that position very long. I had worked for the Union of Ontario Indians going to university. So when I when I waltzed into huh. Indian Affairs um, from the federal perspective, you know, the system didn't make a lot of sense to me. And it was, uh, and I would say that it was intimidating. It was rather confusing. Like, well, mm -hmm. maybe this explains it. And, you know, this is going back 23 years ago. And, and the, the culture within the public service was very different than I left. And I actually went to work for the Native Women's Association of Canada. Mm -hmm. And I, was, I did a little bit of time there. And then it turned out that the executive director at the Native Women's Association of Canada was um, the partner to a director in housing and infrastructure. And the director in housing and infrastructure back at INAC, uh, I got to know him and he said, I would love you, I would love for you to come and work for me and come and would you come back? And I said, yeah, okay, sure. And I did. And I've never left. It's a unique culture. It's a unique experience, and it's not to be. It's not. It doesn't have to be understood by everybody, but it's. Uh, it's one that has provided me with an amazing education about Indigenous rights, experiences, lived experiences, mm -hmm. from the perspective of the Crown, while mm -hmm. being an Indigenous employee myself within that, and and having to braid those two worlds of you know the Western concepts and the Western way of doing things, and the Westminster system and individualism and all these sort of things with the indigenous epistemologies and ontologies of collectivism and interconnection and people first and not about power and control, but rather a place of stewardship. So a place of care and comfort and safety. Dee, I have a question for you. And perhaps it's an unfair question. I mean, what you're describing is to me beautiful. I love community and helping other people. I love that. Why then was it so wrong, and I'm using that in, in quotes, mm -hmm. for the Canadian government to just let Indigenous people 
live their their lives. I think that with bringing over the concepts from from Europe, it had been instilled over there for for thousands of years of what colonialism is. You know, those countries, uh, England, Scotland, France, what have you, it's all been colonized. And so when they, you know, they started coming over to what is known as Turtle Island to my to my people, I don't think that there was a conscience like a collective consciousness of humanity, of connecting to that humanity. It's, it was about survival and it was about individualism and, and all that would come over. And so the way in which colonialism works is that you need to be able to have power and control. And unfortunately, that was absolutely counter to the teachings and understandings of indigenous peoples. And so you have two belief systems two completely different belief systems on polar opposites, one of interconnection and collectivism and just going with the flow is what I would say, an interconnection with the land, with the environment, respect for all living things. And that it wasn't, like, as I say, it was, it was not about having power or control. It was about stewardship. It was about care and comfort and, and safety. And those seven grandfathers teachings and you know of which is humility you know remaining in touch with your your humanity with the european and colonial mindset it had already been indoctrinated into those that were coming over i don't believe that it was done with well we're going to go over there and we're going to to take out an entire group of people it was just how things were done and they had become disconnected to their own humanity through through colonialism over for so long and so much fear uh, that goes along with power and, and control that it was, you know, the, the, the initial contact was, yes, there would be some curiosity, but then there was the need to assert power and control, and which is not our traditional ways as Indigenous people is not to assert power and control. It was about respecting. It was about reciprocity. It was about, you know, those interconnection, those relations. And, and, you know, as Indigenous people, we think of all of our relations. We don't see other people. Traditionally, we would not have seen other people as different from us. It would have been just all part of the beauty of, of the environment, of, of nature. And we would live by those natural laws. So as Indigenous people live by natural laws, whereas uh, the colonial mindset is law is supreme and it has power and it has control and therefore connected to that is punishment and reward. So you either accept this as we are the power and either you accept this as our control or there will be a punishment. But if you do, then there will be a reward, which is completely different. You know, it's not so much that it's the Canadian government, it's the ideologies behind it, you know, going back hundreds and hundreds of years ago of what was what was the intent then. And so we have to be very mindful now that you know, part of the truth and reconciliation uh, work, we're still very much in that truth-telling space and mm -hmm. understanding these realities. Okay, so where were we? Like, how did this all kind of come about in order to, for us to understand where we are, in order for us to reconcile and move forward? My experience in the federal government has been that it's over 23 years, it has definitely changed. There is more awareness. There's more humility. There's more focus on people. We're in the business of people is what I often say, mm -hmm. for the public service. So therefore, people 
is our business and it needs to be people first, not process and, and policies and laws first, but rather the people and what their hopes and dreams are. That's really what policy is supposed to be all about. Hmm. I'm wondering, I mean, I've heard that, you know, every government department has its own way of, of being and its own idiosyncrasies and, and stuff. Have you seen that the Indigenous services has a specifically different kind of vibe? That would be difficult for me to answer because I've spent so much time within the department. It's kind of all I've kind of known. Now, I did spend some time at Canadian Heritage. I think sometimes part of some of the difference, I would say we focus more on programs. So the programs and sending them out to the communities and and allowing the communities to, to really start determining what their needs are. There's a huge shift from that. Like we you know, the government fully understands that, okay, well, we need to be, you know, indigenous peoples. It's, it's like diplomatic relations. It's, it's like a nation to nation sort of relationship. I think whatever government department that you work with, it has a certain culture to it. Indigenous services, Crown and Indigenous Services Canada, of course, as a huge part is, is interconnected to so many other departments. So we do a lot of horizontal yeah. work with other government departments. And of course, it just has always been, oh, well, it's Indigenous services or it's Crown Indigenous relations. Well, all things Indigenous must go there and emanate from there. But that's not the case. Uh, when you think about places like Natural Resources Canada, uh, when you think about Mm-hmm. Agriculture Canada, you know, these are intersectoral departments that particularly traditional Indigenous knowledge is very, very beneficial to to understand because it, it it's bringing in the two worlds together. It's braiding an understanding of mm-hmm. Canada. And I think that that's our department actually does, you know, where I work is at Indigenous Services Canada. I think that they do a, a very good job at now bringing in other departments to, okay, how does this impact? How does, okay. And so it's now, it helps the federal government understand that it's not just an Indigenous thing, but it's mm-hmm. it's it's about Indigenous ways of knowing and being. Indigenous lived realities are very is is very very powerful in understanding where we are at currently and where we can move forward as a country together. I feel that's that's your words are are very hopeful and I feel empowering. And so we're all about pivoting on the the podcast on the playground. In what ways have you pivoted in your life apart from, you know, saying to your dad, "That's it, I'm going down to Ottawa and I'm going to get a job with the government." which is a pretty big pivot. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was well there was the initial pivot of I'm I'm not working in the kitchen no more and uh, <laughs> so and then uh, off to my academic career and then of course the pivot of I'm going to go to Ottawa and get a job and then after you know after being here I mean there's been a couple of different things that I've experienced. So, you know, I think the biggest pivot of my career was I would say it's a, it was a professional maturity that I needed to develop because I I came in with a more adversarial attitude about, well, how come this is happening? Why is that happening? You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. And the pivot I made was to be more discerning, less judgmental and open my eyes to, well, you know, as an Indigenous person, as an Indigenous employee, I have my lived realities and they're true. Those are, that's, that, that is my truth. And that is the truth of others. And all of us have our lived realities and therefore our truths. And 
recognizing that there's a there's space for all kinds of different truths. And it's not about trying to find the universal truth, but rather finding understanding, coming to a common understanding, finding ways in which we can can connect. And when I made the pivot from always seeking justice, trying to f- seek justice, mm-hmm. what I started to do is allow it to just become and to say, oh, well, now I understand. And I became, I opened my heart is what I would say. The pivot was I wasn't just operating from my head and from logic anymore. I opened my heart and I would listen to the stories of all my colleagues and I would listen to the stories of our communities and I would, you know, try to balance all of that. And my pivot was more towards my role and responsibility as a two-spirit knowledge keeper. And that was to help bring about balance, to help understand things in a way that is not about good or bad or right or wrong, but rather from a place of humility and recognize that there can be many of those, like I said, many of the truths, but in all of our stories, and to me, that's what our truths are. Mm-hmm. In all of our stories, there are inter interconnections and that's like a tapestry. It's where it's about making the connections, not trying to focus on where we're disconnected. Mm-hmm but focusing on where we can connect and those other connections will follow suit. And to honor that, honor people's truths, honor the realities and move away from that, uh, the adversarial sort of mindset I had and brought more of a, okay, together we're better. Let's do this together. Okay, I see why that happens and oh, I can appreciate. And what I found that started happening was my relationships within the workplace really flourished, as well as my relationship with Indigenous organizations, Indigenous communities, Indigenous peoples, Hmm. and helping everybody kind of come together to to help understand each other. And I think that was the most powerful pivot I've made in my entire life, was to be less judgy Hmm. and know-it-all-y. And uh, (laughs) I've been a policy wonk, as we say in government. So I used to like to joke and say, I want to solve more problems than I create. And this was the pivot in order to help do that. It's not so much to solve the problem, but rather to allow the problem to unfold for everyone in an honorable way. So we can all speak our truths. And it's helped me as I develop my leadership skills, as I develop my management skills. And there's times that I certainly falter, for sure. There's times where, you know, you get tired and you get exhausted. But I always seem to get back on on that path. And I'm reminded of Elder Max Solace when he had said to us, you never take away a person's hope and you never give them false hope. You always believe and help people to believe that there is more, that there is always more. I like that. I like that. And I note that your pivot is interesting. You made a an attitudinal pivot mm-hmm. and it had such an impact on your career, including all, you know, the leadership and and all of that, that you're doing, that you're being. And when I think of pivot, I don't often think of pivoting with, with an attitude. I Mm. think of, you know, a physical thing like starting a new job or, or going through a medical issue or something like that. But this is a pretty powerful pivot. So thank you for that. And what advice would you give to a younger D? (laughs) Oh my, I don't know how much time we have. Um, (laughs) That you're enough. Mm -hmm. 
that you're enough and all of your ways of knowing and being will find their way to connecting to other ways of knowing and being that bring that balance and therefore that peace into your life. But first you have to, you have to honor yourself first. And I would say that's probably the biggest piece of advice I would tell, tell little D or younger Mm. D. You don't need to be a people pleaser. And there's a big difference. Although it may seem like a very small nuance, but there's a big difference between being a nice person and being a good person. Oh, and that's what I was person and being a good person. Yeah. And being a good person means you honor yourself. And when you honor yourself, you honor others. And typically when you're just being nice, you're only honoring. And therefore it's not an, it's not natural law. It's, you're not contributing to a relationship. You're trying to control it and learning to relinquish that control and just allow that dynamic to be what it's meant to be. That's what I would say. It, It created a lot of, for me as a younger person, you know, even just going back 25 years ago, a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, a lot of stress, a lot of mm-hmm. sleepless nights and a lot of fear. And, you know, my elders that I work with, you know, it reminds me of, uh, you know, grandmother Barb Brandt, who is my mentor. She says, you know, when you, you need to take that fear out of your heart that was put in there, but that is not, it's not meant to be there. You need to, you need to take that out. And make room. And once you do, then your heart opens up both for sending but also receiving. Mm, I could listen to you for hours, quite honestly. I, your, your words, the, the way you speak, I find it very calming. Oh, well, thank you. Miigwech. And finally, do you have a favorite quote or motivational words, other than these ones from Grandmother Barb, that you, that you live by? Hmm. I think there's always more. There's always more. And the other one I would say is that integrity is something that is not to be bought or sold. And that when you're in your quiet times, when you're deliberating or discerning that a person's integrity, you can never sell your integrity and you can't buy integrity. It's something that you have and that you must care for and honor and protect and nurture. Yes. Hmm. Yes. And I feel by spending this time together on the playground, I feel your compassion. I feel your connection and I feel your caringness. Can we say that? Can we? I think so. I think we could say that. Yeah. I think, I think we can say whatever we want. That's because you know what? We're good people. We're not nice people. Dude. I really like that. I really appreciate where you're coming from with, with that. And I can't thank you enough for spending your time and sharing your career journey and life journey with me, with us. It means a lot. Well, chimigwech, chimigwech for having me, inviting me to to share my story. And um, now you have become part of my story and I've become part of yours. I love that. And I am going to say what we learned at our Um, with our Indigenous facilitators right before the pandemic, and it was from my heart to yours. That's how we ended our our facilitated exercises, and they were, it was really special. So I say to you, miigwech, thank you, merci beaucoup, and I appreciate you very much, Dee. And I appreciate you too, Tanya. Thank you so much for this opportunity. 
thank you so much, Dee, for sharing your career story with us and the story of your pivots. I absolutely love getting to have these inspiring career chats with my truly fabulous mystery guests. And here's what I learned. After growing up in North Bay, Dee moved into a career in the culinary arts as a sous chef. But there were challenging hours, split shifts, and not what they wanted to do for the rest of their life. And as a result, decided to go to university. But to get the credits needed to apply to university, Dee had to go back to high school at the age of 24. They pivoted back into the path of academics and what Dee always thought was the right path for them. Like many young people, or quite frankly, people of any age, Dee was unfocused, thinking of a lot of different options, but their experience in high school reminded them of how much they loved academics. They considered pursuing a career in law. After their mother passed away, decided to move to Algonquin Territory, also known as Ottawa, Ontario, and they were driven to discover the why behind colonialism, behind residential schools, the reserve system. It was a healing journey guided to Algonquin Territory, and Dee made the decision to join the government and quickly succeeded in that goal. Their ability as a storyteller provided Dee the opportunity to get into the government and has always focused on working through and for the lens of Indigenous rights. Now, they thought they were going to end up in Toronto because from North Bay, people usually went to the GTA. Through experience in the federal public service, Dee gained knowledge about the perspective of the Crown, but having lived life as an Indigenous person. We talked about colonialism, power and control, truth-telling, and the idea of people first, not process and policies. And I learned that Dee's pivot was to be less judgmental and more discerning. They started operating from their heart, not just using logic. So I learned a pivot doesn't have to be a concrete movement. For instance, changing one's job or moving to another country. Sometimes the biggest changes in our lives can come from making an attitudinal shift or pivot. Grandmother Barbara shared that you need to take the fear out of your heart. It was not meant to be there. Other words to live by, there's always more. And integrity is not something that should be bought or sold. And if I may, I love the there's always more attitude. That is living from abundance. And that really resonates with me and with my heart. I love that D has become part of my story. And I have become part of D's story. So D, from my heart to yours, Chimigwech. And a big thank you to you for hanging out with us on the playground today. Get ready for next week's fabulous mystery guest and another cool career chat. Please remember to connect with me on Instagram at PuddleJumpCoaching001 and visit Pet Save Sudbury to learn more about that amazing rescue organization. Until next week, please be good to yourself, to others, to animals, and the environment. Here's to living without fear and with integrity. Thank you for being part of my story. From my heart to yours, I am really looking forward to next week's episode when we will be jumping into the future together.